1: What's up, guys? Welcome into the guilty as charge podcast. My name is Tyler. Today I'm going to take you guys through the Chargers draft class, scouting reports on all eight players. Nothing super in depth. I've gone in depth in my notes, but I'm not going to spend, you know, 10 minutes per pick. I'm not going to talk about Xander Horvath for 20 minutes. Sorry. But we are going to go through all of them and just talk about the positives, the negatives, what their impact will be. Was it a reach? Was it a steal? my grade, etc, etc. So uh, StreamYard was not working for whatever reason. So I'm going to be this really weird floating head here. Uh, I guess Zoom is trying this out. I think I kind of hate it. But I also love it for that reason too. So I'm going to be here as this ghost floating head. And uh, we'll see how that goes. I don't know how it's going to go. If it freaks you out. I apologize. This is my multiverse of madness. So scouting reports for the 22 draft class. Here we go. One thing right before we jump into that, though, I just want to quantify, I guess, who was a reach and who was a steal because you know anybody can say whether it was a reach or a steal. Oh, we got this guy. We got this guy here. He's a reach, he's a steal. But are they actually, at least based on the consensus big board, a reach or a steal? Now, maybe you thought Jasir Taylor was corner four in this draft. Maybe you thought he was corner 192. But that's just one person's view, right? Even Daniel Jeremiah, whoever you follow, Dane Brugler, You know, they have their individual rankings. So I'm going to use NFL mock draft databases, consensus rankings to project or to quantify, I guess, whether they were a reach or a steal. So if they're in between one and 10 from the consensus board ranking, that's proper value. In the first round, it's kind of different, right? The difference between, you know, the 17th pick and the 24th pick might feel like a reach or a steal, but the difference between, you know, that many in round seven, it almost doesn't matter, but I'm just going to keep it here. 1 to 10 is a consensus board uh, proper value. Anything from between 11 and 30 from their consensus board ranking is a reach or a steal. And then anything above that, so 31 or more, that's a big reach or a big steal. There's no big, 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 big reach. There's no big, 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 big steal. I'm just going to say big reach, big steal, call it that. But as Arjun says, a reach is often a reach, but a steal is rarely a steal. He did a whole video about that. I'm not going to get into that. I'm just saying. So if it's a reach, it often is a reach for a reason or it ends up being a reach if you track it over time. But a steal is rarely a steal. We always talk about draft day steals. And to a certain extent, there are there are steals. It's just, it's rarely truly a steal. There's a reason they fell. Um, and then a reach is often a reach. If you can tell it's a reach, it's probably a reach. <laughs> Jerry Tillery, not <laughs> Trey Pipkins. So <laughs> Craig Maker, <laughs> most of Telesco's draft picks. Uh, so let's get into it. Here we go. So not a surprise. Uh, Zion Johnson is liked by me, of course, liked by Steven, liked by pretty much everybody. Uh, undoubtedly a good player. Undoubtedly the, I wouldn't say undoubtedly. I personally think undoubtedly the best guard prospect in this class. And most people had him as guard number one. You might like Linderbaum more because he was like center one. But as in terms of guards, he was the best guard in this class. And I think that holds up in the rankings, you know, and wherever you look, he tends to be guard one. So I think that works consensus ranking 23rd as IOL one to me, this is proper, not to me to to our quantification. He's proper value. I had a first round grade on him. He is a great player. Like he was a really good, good player, a great prospect for sure. High IQ player on and off the field, multi-position player, tremendous second level and pass pro mobility, which is huge. You know, some guys are really good. Like they're just very fast, right? They were former, I forget, is it Parham, Dylan Parham, who was the former defensive player, right? And his get off is fantastic. He's great getting off the line. But how how is he in pass protection? Is he as mobile laterally in pass protection and moving through that arc as he is getting down the field? And I think Zion Johnson is the numbers check out as is on the RAS score. But on film, he can get downfield, no problem. But he can also run the whole arc, no problem. I think part of that is also because he played tackle. And yeah, he's also a good athlete. So that helps. Um, I I really think Zion Johnson is one of the only guys who really brings his lower half with him on his blocking reps. Some guys are just top heavy. I think even Jamari Saylor is too much of a, a top heavy guy or someone I really liked like Marquise Hayes, very much a strong guy, knocks people over. But he's very top heavy, which isn't the worst thing. But some guys really bring their hips and drive and uproot defenders. Zion Johnson was the best in this class, in my opinion, at doing that, at least in terms of guard play. I think other than that, maybe Evan Neal as a tackle, I, I could say Ico McQuanu as well. Although I think I like Equanu more in space to uproot defenders rather than you know at the line of scrimmage. But still, Zion Johnson, Evan Neal, Ike McQuanu, some of the best full-body uprooters, I think, in this class. Even though it's not all the time, I think they bring it the most down to down to down. And then just the final bow on top of everything and why I liked him so much is the film is great, the stats are fantastic, and he has the RAS score to back it up. Oh, and by the way, he dominated the Senior Bowl and was Senior Bowl Practice Player of the Week. Like, every box was checked with this guy. He's so good. If he doesn't work out, it's because he blew out both of his knees. (laughs) Like, at worst, he's going to be good. Honestly, I think this year he could be a Pro Bowl guard. Now, how does that work with voting? You know, because some guys are just always voted in no matter what. I don't know. But I know we're kind of psychopaths when it comes to voting. You know, Chargers fans, we know. We're a bit crazy when it comes to voting. <laughs> Justin Herbert 2020 for sure. So I think we could get him in there as a Pro Bowl vote if he has even a decent season. Uh, the negatives were so hard to find. Like, it's not just, if I could probably point to one play where it's like, oh, he's lunging. Or I can point to another play where it's like, oh, you know, he didn't pick up a responsibility or he didn't go help that guy or whatever. But it's not frequent enough to where I can say it's a problem. Like one problem is he's undersized. Did it really affect them all that much? No. Is he going to be the biggest guard in the class? No. Sailor is going to be a much bigger guard than him. So I guess that could be a problem, but he can anchor down. And he works leverage really well. So I have that in quotation marks because he's undersized. And, you know, maybe there's a massive defensive tackle or whatever who can push him down. Maybe. But in college, it wasn't really much of a problem. Or at least it wasn't a consistent problem. And then there's just sometimes in the second level, I do feel his GPS kind of bugs out. Like I said, he can get to the second level really well. But sometimes it's just like, oh, you, you missed a little bit. Or you didn't quite get to your second level assignment that well. And I think that's potentially, it's obviously not that he's not a smart player. He's a very smart player, but he's also, you know, played so many different positions left tackle, left guard. They've tried him out at center, they tried him out at right guard, you know, and whatnot. I I think that maybe just playing one defined position and just always understanding where you're going to be going from that spot will help him. But again, it feels like a nitpick. I really just sat there for a long time with a blinking cursor trying to figure out what was wrong with Zion Johnson. And there really wasn't that much. There really wasn't that much. Uh, So fun fact on him. I do have a fun fact for everybody. It may not be the the most fun fact. Some of it's just a stat thing. Some of it's a personal thing, whatever. Uh, But Zion Johnson was number one on our stats composite rankings as a guard. Linderbaum was ahead of him, but as a center and honestly center, like they typically have better stats than guards, uh, unless you're Dan Feeney. (laughs) Uh, So number one, our stats rankings among guards and was Steven, like Steven and I, he was our highest graded interior offensive lineman over the past three seasons. Now he did since 2020, I didn't grade in 2020. So in 2021 and 2022, he was my highest graded guard or excuse me, interior offensive lineman. Same thing for Steven across three years. So yeah, us cheering in the audience wasn't just like, woohoo. I'm doing it for effect, you know, I'm doing it to get likes, you know, we were legitimately happy with this pick. It couldn't have been much better for us only trading back. The only difference is you could have maybe traded back and gotten him, but because the Texans took um, Kenyon green, I think at that point it wasn't going to happen. And then the Patriots reached like crazy for Cole strange, which who I like, but it was a reach and Zion Johnson probably would have been their pick. In my opinion, that would have been such a good Patriots pick. Nope. He's a charger. So Uh, 2022 instant impact. He's an instant starter. This is no question to me. He's going to start on the line. Obviously it's a first round pick. He's going to be good. Moving on. Up next is JT woods, the safety out of Baylor, who was a bit of a surprise in the third round for sure, because I mean right here on the consensus ranking 137th safety number 10, and it is considered a big reach. He was ranked 137. We took him at 79. So yes, it is a big reach. Now, I did grade him as a round three target. I did really like him. I think he was in my top 10 for safeties, although I only graded like 11, uh, but he was in my top 10 and I, I gave him a round three grade. It's slightly inflated by the fact that he is such a high-end athlete and because of those takeaways that he had and the fact that he did get his hands on the football. So it's, it's not really a, like those six interceptions. It's not stable, especially because some of them are were gimmies. But still, he did get his hands on the football a lot, and he was a high-end athlete. So I grade him as such, based on what I saw in 2021, and he had a round three grade from me. Again, feels a bit inflated. I think the fourth round really was the perfect spot for him. Obviously, the Chargers went differently and got him in the third round. Uh, While it is a reach, I understand why they would go with a player like that, because this is a guy who was a former wide receiver who's just learning the position and for him to be able to trigger downhill as well as he can, and as well as he showed, even in the four, in the missed tackles, it's pretty impressive. You know, some guys like Alante Taylor who joined Tennessee as a wide receiver, you know, he's not perfect, unrefined for sure, but looking at where, how far he's come as a guy who was a wide receiver. Great. J- and the saints took him very early, right? JT Woods, same thing. You know, he's projected to go later, but if you look at what he's accomplished mentally and on the field so far as a guy who wasn't really a safety to begin with, he's come a long way. And so I understand why you would go get him. His ability to trigger downhill is phenomenal. And I think it's his best attribute after, you know, he's got the, the range and the athleticism to cover all parts of the field, but it's the IQ, it's the, it's the instinctiveness, it's the reaction time, it's the trigger downhill that impresses me the most. Again, even with the missed tackles, you, it shows off there like it's a missed tackle and it's unfortunate. And there's an issue with, you know, wrapping up him being a bit undersized, you know, wrong angles and, and whatnot. But I think that will come with time with coaching. I think Brandon Saley said he thought it was pretty coachable and it does seem to be coachable. Like go watch the missed tackles. He's still flying from deep safety downhill and getting guys, you know, for a run stop, It just, well, not getting them. He, they miss or he misses, but he's closing so quickly from so far away that if you just figure out how to connect at that last minute, whether it is just being a bigger, like he needs to bulk up a bit. And sometimes guys were just able to break tackles because he's not a big guy or not a big bulky guy that is. But if you get him to connect at that point of attack, right, right. When those two guys connect, you get him to finish boy, there's a huge playmaker in here waiting to happen. So again, JT Woods is a reach. It will affect his grade. I'm going to talk about grades at the end, but still there's a lot to really like about JT Woods. Just because he's a big reach doesn't mean he's a bad player. He's a good player or a good prospect. That is, it was just very, very early and a surprise for sure. So again, positives, triggers downhill phenomenally. He's a high-end athlete and he did lead college football in interceptions. And of course, again, that's an unstable metric. Sure. But He's a guy they identified as a guy who could make plays downhill, of course, but also picking the football off or breaking up passes or whatever. And that's huge. Staley said, I want Derwin James to be able to move all around, but I don't want to lose the playmaking ability behind us just because Derwin James is not moving all over the place. JT Woods, high-end athlete, triggers downhill wonderfully and is great. Not in great coverage. Gets his hands on the football, at least in in terms of 2021. That's perfect. Uh, negatives wrap up angle problems for sure. He is undersized, which does contribute to those tackle issues. He's not the biggest guy. So guys will just kind of run through him or he'll leave his feet and try to make a tackle, but he ain't dragging people down and he's not that big, not that strong and he's got the wrong angle. So it just kind of has to be perfect. But again, the plays that he does make are fantastic. And that's what you're aiming for. Uh, and then of course, some people think, you know, he can come down and cover from the slot. I don't buy that. Like he does have the athleticism to do do that, but I think he's just going to be your deep coverage safety for now. Maybe use him to blitz or whatever, but I don't think him covering from the slot is going to happen early. He has the athleticism to do it. I just don't think he's ready for that right now, which isn't like a big negative, but I think just Chargers fans are assuming that he could do that this year. And I think Mark Webb is better suited to do that. So I think Mark Webb, then JT was then Alohi Gilman for covering from the slot that gives you any context, um, but yeah, five-time honor roll guy. I think this year he's going to be, obviously he's going to be that number three safety. Uh, they're not benching Derwin James for him. And they're certainly not moving this year. Adderley, I don't think, however, 2023, maybe you do have a starter because Adderley walks in JT woods, which would be great. Like that's ideal, but for now he's going to be that third safety, you know, dime DB, whatever kind of package you want. And then big on special teams. He's a guy who obviously has shown that he can return kicks and punts. He's a guy that has returned interceptions for touchdowns. So again, DeAndre Carter is probably your starter because he knows how and he's very experienced in the NFL with returning kicks, but JG Woods could be that guy in a pinch for sure. Next up is Isaiah Spiller. Another surprise because I had no idea he was available. Uh, Fourth round was the earliest. I wanted the Chargers to take a running back. I didn't want them to take a running back in the fourth round, but the fourth round was the earliest. I wanted them to take a running back and they did. And again, I didn't know Isaiah Spiller was available when you don't have a pick in the second round and you don't pick again until 79, you kind of just assume that the guys projected to go in the second or early third are gone. And Isaiah Spiller was 64th on the consensus big board and overall the RB three, no one really expected Isaiah to spill it be here. Now, again, like Arjun said, a steal is rarely a steal. So why did he fall? We'll have to get into that at some point. Not today. Uh, But based on the board, this is a big steal. And I had a round three grade on him before the draft. After revisiting him, I would say it's in between a round two and round three grade. Uh, I watched his 2020 tape, which Charger coach, couch scout on Twitter. If I'm getting it wrong, I apologize. But he, he noticed that, and I forget what podcast he was listening to. I think it was The Athletic, that Isaiah Spiller played 10 pounds heavier in 2020 and then was 10 pounds lighter in 2021. And that may have contributed to his you know, 2028 looking a bit better, like a more complete back. I don't know why he dropped the weight in 2021. It could have been because he wanted to be a more receiving weapon. He wanted to be fat. Like his RAS score is not great. He's obviously not a speedster. So potentially he did drop the weight to try to be faster on the field, or whatever. I don't know. Regardless, I do like this pick. It's my third favorite pick in the draft, behind uh, Zion Johnson, of course, and Jamari Sailor. I think getting somebody who I think was my RB six would probably move up to my RB four or five. By the way, getting someone like that in the fourth round when he was projected to go almost sixty picks earlier in the consensus board, of course, that's not maybe it's not what he's projected to go, but that was where he was ranked. Right, ranked sixty four. Get him at one twenty three. That's huge and he's a guy with great peripheral vision. I think I and I mean that specifically as peripheral vision. I do like his overall vision as well, but his ability to be looking one completely different direction and make a guy in the separate corner miss when he's triggering you know, up. So one DB linebacker from one side of the field is coming towards him. He's looking that way trying to make this guy miss and then he somehow makes that guy miss over there. I think I'm going to play it in the the clips you're watching, but it's impressive it's very very impressive and the missed tackles forced are evident 100 missed tackles the last two seasons that works for me you know the charges were really missing that and he is legit backfield you know or out wide receiving option you can use him on the wheel on a swing on a screen whatever but you can also line him out wide you can line him in the slot whatever you can run him as, a, as an angle route whatever he's a legit receiving option which is one of the things i wanted the charges to do like I said, a couple of times so far on the show and in different places, I either wanted the Chargers to get both is good, but I wanted them to at least get either a home run, high end athlete sort of guy or a guy who was a legit receiver. Because again, I say this joke, but I mean it and it's true. Isaiah Spiller currently has more receiving yards in the NFL than Larry Roundtree. Why? Larry Roundtree has negative one receiving yards. So the Chargers getting a legit receiving, I don't see if he's a receiving back a legit back who can catch the ball out of the backfield or be a weapon out wide. That was huge for them. So them doing that is fantastic. As far as negatives, you know, things that popped up more than not, the East-West running style, you know, or even sometimes South, you know, trying to do too much sometimes. And part of that's because his line wasn't that great, mostly. Kenyon Green was pretty good. But for the most part, his line wasn't the best. So sometimes he would have to create on his own which is also a good thing, but it can also be a bad thing. You Sometimes you just need two yards. And I, I think overall in a short yarded situation, he was fine. But if it's first and 10 or second and eight or whatever, if they tried to hand the ball off to him and they just needed to get a more third and manageable or second and manageable or whatever, sometimes he would just try to bounce it out too much, dance around too much and, you know, lose yards, not gain any yards, basically waste a down. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it pays off but it didn't always. So that is kind of a problem, but I I have a feeling that this offensive line will help him explode even more. And then overall, he's just, he really is a limited home run guy. He's not going to be a power guy. I think chargers fans thought just based on his size that he was a, a power guy. You know, he's, he is bigger than the running backs that they have certainly bigger than Austin Eckler. And, and, you know, and he does look the part on film sometimes, But overall, he's not a power guy. He's going to be an elusive guy, which is totally fine. I don't, you don't need a power guy for this offense. You know, I'm not running outside zone with, you know, a a huge, slow lumbering power guy. I just want a a slow, slow lumbering, elusive guy in Spiller. No, I'm kidding. He's not that slow, but still he's going to be capped. Like he's not going to be a home run hitter. He's not going to be a short yardage, you know, freak run it super hard and knock linebackers over. Sort of guy, either. And that's okay. You don't have to be that. I'm just saying that's not his strong suit. It is a negative and it's not going to be his strong suit. So just don't expect that. Um, fun fact I, I do bring up the Jerome Ford thing quite a bit because that was a very popular pick for the Chargers at this point. But Isaiah Spiller did lead Jerome Ford in fumbles in a good way. Missed tackles forced, breakaway rate, and yards after the catch per reception. So, you know, if you wanted Jerome Ford in the fifth, or even if you want Jerome Ford over Isaiah Spiller, Jerome Ford was not better than Isaiah Spiller in many categories. He was better in some as well, but Spiller does have a leg up on him in several other ones. So if you don't, if you really didn't feel good about this pick and you want Jerome Ford instead, I'm just saying Spiller did lead him in fumbles, missed tackles, forced breakaway rate, yards after the catch per reception. So that's good. Overall in 2022, he's going to be an RB2 with three down value. You really could call him RB1B. But, you know, whatever semantics, RB1B, RB2, he's going to get a lot of touches. And he's a guy that if Eckler goes down, he can, I think, maintain a strong rushing attack and, you know, be a decent receiving option for the Chargers. So I like this one for sure. Some people don't like it. I get it. Some people are in the middle. I'm trending more positive because I I see how he fits with the Chargers and I like it quite a bit. All right, next up, Otito Ogbonia from UCLA, a guy who was a senior bowl standout. But again, a bit of a reach at this point. I think the Chargers were looking at maybe somebody else. If you look at Neil Farrell Jr., you look at Thomas Booker, there's a lot of similarities there between those, these three guys, those two and Otito, of course. There's a lot of similarities. I think Thomas Booker and Otito are actually very similar uh, in terms of film. Not as much in body type. I think Otito has longer arms, but they're both they're both very similar in that regard. And if you watch Thomas Booker, you didn't watch Agboniya. Booker is kind of like uh, Ogbonia. I think they're very similar in, in many ways. This was still a reach on the consensus board, not by much. They picked him 160. Uh, he was ranked 187, so not bad. And I had him a fourth round, fifth round. No, I didn't have this before the draft, but after watching him, I'd say anywhere between round four and five for his grade. That makes sense. Uh, positives, his ability to stack when he stacks against a guard or whatever, those long arms pay off. Like he is uprooting, not uprooting. He is winning the leverage battle very often because of those long arms. And it's, it's wonderful. Hmm. I don't want to say very often when he wins, he wins spectacularly because of his long arms. But I don't want I don't want to say it was very often because I don't think very often applies to him. Winning. And I'll talk about that in a sec, uh, sideline to sideline, his ability to maintain the line of scrimmage from sideline to sideline is wonderful. He moves and flows so well across the line or side to side. Is that across the line of scrimmage, down the line of scrimmage, uh, scraping, whatever you want to call it. Uh, he does that very, very well. And I think he's able to both maintain with his arms and move laterally. Very, very well. It's very impressive. And then just, so Steven came to the same conclusion. I didn't know this until we talked about it on the show. But Ogbonia to him was a better pass rusher than run defender. And I actually thought the same thing I assumed based on his stats and kind of his physical profile that he was going to be a more stout run defender and he could get there for sure. There are traits and and there is part of his profile that suggests that he could get there, but I think he's a much better pass rusher. Now, do I think he's going to, you know, run crazy stunts or I think he's Aaron Donald. Do I think he has a, a wide repertoire of, of pass rush moves? No, but he kind of like Thomas Booker can gap shoot very, very, very well. He does have a rip. He does have a swim to accompany his speed off the line, but I do think it does work more often than not when he applies those. So let's talk about the negatives because I feel like the positives and negatives, it's like a, it's like a 50, 50 with him sometimes. So he does. So he has those long arms, right? He can stack. It's wonderful at the same time. He needs to work on making that first meaningful contact. When he does with those long arms, it's great. When he doesn't, he loses pretty bad. Um, his and you know, I've down here a little bit lower. He was pushed around quite a bit by Donovan West, the center from Arizona State, and Nick Ford, the center from Utah, guys that went undrafted. He was pushed around quite a bit, despite the fact that I think he does look like and does have those longer arms. He looks like a guy who should be winning those matchups, but Even though they had shorter arms than him, I believe, Agbonia was not making that first meaningful contact. It was those guys. It was the centers who maybe they weren't even quicker off the line, but they got their hands in the right spot. And inside, And Agbonia was just sort of not making that first meaningful contact. And they would drive him 10 yards backwards. His anchor was tested quite often by those two players. Now, I didn't watch his LSU game, or not in full at least, versus like Ed Ingram and those guys. Apparently, Steven says that that was a pretty good game for him. Uh, And there are flashes of it for sure. I've seen the highlights of it that Steven posted. But overall, just needs to work on making that first meaningful contact. You have long arms. That's great. And when you use them, it's awesome. But can you do it consistently? Can you make that first meaningful contact over and over and over again? Something he has to work on. Because like I said, two undrafted guys did push him around pretty easily. Now, he would maybe move to the guard next to those two guys and push them around no problem. But when it came time to facing Donovan West and Nick Ford, they did push him around quite a bit. Um, And then, you know, I do have to bring it up. He was the worst ranked interior defensive lineman on our composite stats rankings. Again, it's stats based only. It's not based on film, but just based on the stats, he was the worst ranked interior defensive lineman out of, I believe, 17. And that does include guys like John Ridgway, who's not like, like he's not a pass rusher. Right? so it's not just like, oh well, Ugboni is a run defender, so a nose tackle. So of course he wouldn't have the bigger stats. No, it does include some other guys that are projected to be, you know, maybe a nose tackle, zero, one, maybe three. Um, but for the most part, you know, he didn't do that well uh, statistically, and it shows on the field. Uh, fun fact from him: seven times, seven time. We got a lot of smart guys on this team now. Seven time honor roll guy, and he does want to attend law school after football. Great. We got a lot of smart players on this team for sure. I think in 2022, he's not going to start. I don't see him starting over Jerry Tillery, not because I don't think he could be better. It's just, I, I highly doubt they're starting a fifth round pick rookie over their you know first rounder in Jerry Tillery. Even though they didn't pick up his fifth year option, all signs point to Jerry Tillery still starting and playing pretty meaningful snaps. Now the question does become, is Jerry Tillery going to play the most snaps and be considered a starter, but is he going to be a passing down or maybe only a first and 10 sort of guy? Or is he actually just starting like most of the downs and he's just rotating out with like Bonia on you know the second drive, the fourth drive or whatever. So that, that'll be something to watch for sure. Don't know quite yet, but I still think Jerry Tillery is that starter. And I do think he's going to be more I think Ogbonnia is going to be more that pass rusher type behind Jerry Tillery, where Braden Fajoko is going to be more of the run-stuffing nose, you know, sort of defensive player for them. All right, next up, Jamari Scales from Georgia, a guy that I, I, I said I would only do big reach, and that's it. But I got us to call this a big MFing steal. Uh, pretty happy with this one, barring the medical thing, whatever that was. On the consensus big board, he was ranked 100. Or excuse me, he was ranked 73rd. As IOL 5, the fifth ranked offensive interior offensive lineman, 73rd overall, got him at 195. How? I guess there's a medical thing. Uh, but it's it's so undercovered. I'm I'm willing to bet that it's kind of not a big issue, but we'll see. The Chargers usually don't try, at least with the Staley era, haven't really gone out of their way to go take broken, you know, injured players. So I think some some failure would be pretty safe here. I'm hoping wishful thinking Uh, positives. So I had, I had around two to three ish grade on him. I think I had him more leaning towards round three, but I graded him as a tackle and just want to talk about him as a guard. So that was kind of as a tackle, if he had played guard or if at least I had watched his, was it 2019 guard tape or whatever it was, I might've liked him, you know, more, I don't know, but I, I graded him based on his 2021 tape. And I had a third round grade on him, but I could have seen him going earlier because of the fact that he played at Georgia, the competition that he faced, and the fact that he did statistically perform excellent as a tackle that should be playing card. So very impressive. Uh, One of the things that really stuck out to me, stuck out to me was his independent hand usage and his reset of his hands. I don't think a lot of guys in this class are able to do that, at least in terms of the, you know, the tackles. So you have a guy who, and I forget where Arjun had him in the percentile range. But I believe he was like 90th percentile or higher in several pass blocking categories or grades, and it shows like he is a legit pass protecting tackle. He's going to not be a tackle in the NFL because of his athletic limitations, but he can do a lot as a tackle. And he's learned so much playing all five positions that I really think you have a legit pass protector. And it, it showed, right? He went through Alabama, Michigan in Alabama, some legit players, you know, one of them being Aiden Hutchinson. And I think he only allowed three pressures in those three games. Maybe it was two or four, regardless, even if it was four, four pressures in those three games against those guys. And you're a guy that's supposed to be a guard. (laughs) That's pretty impressive. So I do think he will be a guard, but still he was pretty good. I liked him a lot. It's the independent hand usage and reset. Fantastic. Uh, running the arc as well, not like Zion Johnson running the arc and pass protection, but he's a guy who can protect um, because of his experience, I guess. Not because he's you know very quick on his feet or anything, but because he understands how to mirror, having played so many positions. And he's just a legit pro, you know. I, I do think he stands stands out in that regard. Uh, five position player experience. I believe he started three different positions, but has played all five in spots. And then he's battle tested. Like I said, he, Michigan, you know, uh, Alabama, Alabama again, uh, still earned a 99 pass blocking efficiency. I believe it was right at 99. Fantastic stuff. Negatives, you know, he's not athletic, so he's going to be a guard. Great. A lot of his limitations or some of his problems, it's not like, okay, he can't do these things and he's, this technique is poor in, the, in this regard. So if we put him at guard, it's going to fix those things. No, that's not the case. This is a great example of taking a guy who would just be better at guard because he's limited athletically at tackle. He just isn't going to be a great tackle prospect, you know, a little bit slower, a little bit limited in that regard. Guess what? Move him to guard with a guy who, again, is great in pass protection, nine to nine pass blocking efficiency, all that good stuff. Put him at guard, going to excel, hopefully, very quickly. His role will definitely be a toss up this year for sure. Uh, I guess one of the only concerns I have from him, uh, he's an upper half player too often. So I talk about Zion Johnson bringing his hips. Jamari Saylor is a little bit top heavy in that regard. He's a guy who's very big, very strong, but is not exactly, and he's used, he uses that, but he's not really bringing the rest of his body. But with coaching, I think he can work with that. That's not a huge concern, but it is something he was a culprit of uh, many times. And then there is that medical flag. I still don't know what it is, Uh, Still not quite sure what it is. I know he didn't play all of 2021, but it didn't bug him when he was beating Aiden Hutchinson into the ground. So I don't know what it is, but I guess we'll we'll find out. Hopefully it's not too serious. Uh, Fun fact, he was Brandon Thorne's IOL six. That is not really that much of a fun fact. What is a fun fact is that the Chargers, all four of their draft picks the last two years have been in Brandon Thorne's top 10 at their position. So Slater, I think was his top, I think his third offensive tackle. Then Hymas was his ninth. And then Zion Johnson was his IOL one or two. If I'm not mistaken. I don't remember where he ended up with those two. Um, And then he took Jamari Sailor, who was IOL six for Thorne. So all four of the Chargers draft picks the last two years in this daily regime have all been top 10 at their position, actually top nine at their position uh, for Brandon Thorne. Not that Brandon Thorne is the only guy who knows anything about football or offensive line football, but... um, that's the guy I'm trusting to know something about offensive line football. So all four guys that they've drafted had PBEs, pass blocking efficiencies of 99 or higher. And they were all in Brandon Thorne's top nine. It's pretty good. Uh, as far as 2022 impact, I have no idea. <laughs> He's probably their backup interior offensive lineman, but he could also just win the left guard job over Brendan Hymas and my, Matt Filer kicks out the right tackle. So you have this great competition for left guard. One of them wins. Let's say Celia wins. He's your left guard. Zion Johnson, your right guard. Filer's your right tackle. I'm cool with that. You guys cool with that? Uh, Whether it happens or not, it's a whole other story. All right, next up is Jasir Taylor from Wake Forest at pick 214. This is where we get a little bit dicey with the consensus rankings and where we get a bit concerned with this whole reach thing because he was corner 47 on the consensus rankings and ranked at 370. It gets worse later, actually, believe it or not. Uh, Desire Taylor going much earlier than he was projected on the consensus rankings. So yeah, it's a big reach. It should be a big, 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 big reach. But it's okay. I do see his role. I understand what his role probably will be for the Chargers this year and developing moving forward. Now, Bryce Callahan signing does make it so he probably doesn't see the field all that much, uh, especially again with Bryce Callahan, with Asante Samuel Jr. playing some slot with Mark Webb. I don't know how often he's going to see the field this year, but I do see his role. I I can see why they would take him Uh, again, kind of a theme like JT Woods downhill trigger. The instincts are there. I see the play developing. I work downhill, I attack the screen. I attack the halfback toss, whatever. The instincts to trigger downhill are there. That's great. High IQ player in that regard. He does also add a solid athletic profile to the DB room. Mark Webb, Alohi Gilman, not that great. Profiles athletically, not great. Mark Webb, good in coverage. Sticks in the hip pocket, no problem. Sometimes you just need an athlete. And Jasir Taylor really does give you that. So if you're going to develop a slot corner, I guess Mark Webb isn't really a slot corner, but he could be. But just Taylor does add more juice to the DB room. Not a bunch of slow guys out there. You know, there's are very smart guys, very fast guys out there for the most part. And then as an outside corner, so he did play outside corner for the most part. As an outside corner, you do see some of those movement skills that he has because he's a good athlete, um, but you see that the quick feet on display sometimes. And you think, okay, that's something we can work with, right? Especially in the slot. You want some of his quick feet, good instincts, aggressive tackler all that sort of good stuff. And I do have him projected as a slot corner, whereas the next guy, the next DB that they took, I have projected as more of an outside guy. Uh, negatives, six touchdowns and 14 penalties in the last two seasons and, and five touchdowns allowed in 2021 and nine penalties in 2021. Apparently his 2020 tape was better. I have not watched that. I have no strong desire to watch uh, more f- game film on Jasir Taylor in, in 2020, but that's just kind of what I saw in 2021. Apparently 2020 is better didn't watch it, you can watch it. let me know. I ain't gonna watch it. Uh, he does flail a bit in his tackles. I'm not saying you know that's the only thing that he does. He does make some good plays, but sometimes he does kind of flail in those tackles and I think the most concerning thing though is he does get caught peeking with no safety help behind him. So he'll play a lot of outside zone outside zone he'll play a lot of zone on the outside. He's not going to man up on anybody anytime soon. he plays way off. And sometimes he's just looking in the backfield and trying to bait something, maybe trying to make that play downhill, right? He's trying to trigger downhill and then the wide receiver tight end, whoever goes right past him and there's no safety help. So I don't know what the coverage, maybe it's a busted coverage thing or something, but it happened enough times where I'm thinking, okay, is he just peeking way too much into the backfield and our DB or our wide receiver is getting behind him because he thinks he has help. You know, is he, you know, is he peaking too much? Is he not understanding he has no help behind him? Is it both? Kind of feels like both. So it's definitely a a concern there. Fun fact on him. First player in Wake Forest history to have a kickoff return touchdown and interception in the same game. This is a guy who is going to primarily be at best for now with everyone healthy. Of course, your, you know, extra DB you can use as a blitzer. You watch Tavon Campbell last year against like the Raiders. They'd use him as a blitzer, right? And a guy who could kind of play on the field for them as an extra DB. I actually don't remember at that point, how many, where he was, was he DB five, six, whatever. I think just a Disney Taylor is basically Tavon Campbell's replacement, I think. So the way they use Tavon Campbell initially, which is, you know, use him off the edge as a blitzer, move him around. I think that's kind of what they're going to do with just here, Taylor. But then again, like I said, they have they have Bryce Callahan now, so that will take that will kind of keep Taylor off the field. I think he will contribute on special teams immediately. That will keep him on the roster for sure. And then he can be an emergency kickoff returner, punt returner. I think it could be JT Woods. Uh, depends on how involved, you know. But I, I think Jasir Taylor could also be that emergency kickoff returner, punt returner if say Nasir Adderley gets hurt. JT Woods, starting safety for them, you know, Jasir Taylor could be that next in line special teams returner. The next one, I have the toughest time projecting making the roster. That's Dean Leonard, the outside cornerback from Ole Miss. Uh, Another pretty significant reach here based on the consensus board. He was ranked 522 as corner 62. So Jasir Taylor was corner 47. uh, And then 22 picks later, they take Dean Leonard corner 62, was ranked 522nd. This is a big reach. Um, I I have a hard time grading players as purely undrafted free agents. So I do have him here as, you know, round seven to UDFA. But I I don't, like this, of anybody, this is the guy that should have been the undrafted free agent grade. That should have probably been an undrafted free agent, in my opinion. Uh, He's a raw player, which is good. There's a lot of room to grow. He barely played any snaps in at Ole Miss, only had one year of starting. So there are things there you can work with, and I think Staley talked about there are things that he showed and characteristics that they like at corner that they can develop. That's good. If you're a raw player, that also means you can be a blank slate, retool all of his technique, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and mold him into the player that you want. So there's that. He's a very willing tackler. Regardless of what the outcome is, he is a very, very willing guy He's trying to make plays in the run game, trying to work downhill. That's great. Like JT Woods, like Jasir Taylor, Dean Leonard, trying to make plays downhill, not afraid of some contact. That's great. And I actually do think that he could work better as a future safety. I think his, what he shows in coverage, you know, trying to now he had to cover Mechie, uh, Jamison Williams, and these guys. So it's not the easiest, but based on what he showed, I think potentially there's a role for him to just play back read everything in front of him, come downhill as a safety. I think that works for him. I think he could be on the field faster with that role, kind of like an Alohi Gilman sort of thing. I think he can get on the field with that faster than as an outside corner. I don't think he's going to be a slot corner. Again, I think that's what Jaseer Taylor is there for. And of course, Bryce Callahan. But I think Dean Leonard is going to compete as an outside corner. And I think that, I think he wants to get on the field faster. I think it could be as a safety but we'll see and then there are flashes of head turn and passes broken up again what's daily talked about there are things that we saw in film that we can develop those are traits and characteristics that we want there are times where leonard is beat and he still hustles down the field turns his head knocks the ball down i believe he had seven passes broken up in 2021 which is great that's a solid number to have there's flashes of it you want to develop that it's very early <laughs> but you know It is what it is. Sometimes you take guys a little bit early negatives. So he's a raw player. That's a good thing. He's also a raw player. That's a bad thing. Only one year of starting at Ole Miss in 2020. I believe he had only had 127 coverage reps. So he finally got to that one full-ish year of starting. And I I think even he didn't even really start because Mm -hmm. there was kind of a rotation that they had, but I guess if we're going to call it starting, he had, I think, 360 coverage snaps in 2021. And so he hasn't seen the field all that much in college football, NCAA football, which means he's going to jump (laughs) to the NFL, really not seeing a whole lot of legit college football. And it shows double moves were a problem and that's okay. You're a seventh round pick projected to be an undrafted free agent. You're not perfect. So you can work on those things, but Jameson Williams, John Mechie kind of pretty good athletes, kind of good receivers. And, uh, yeah, they got, they kind of, they worked him and I forget the other, I can't believe I'm drawing a blank on the other two games that I watched of his, but it was a consistent problem, double moves, his ability to be fluid with his hips, work sideline to sideline to follow the receiver, to stick in their hip pocket. Just does not have that yet. I think he has the profile to maybe learn how to do that, but this is so new to him. And those guys are so much better and more talented That he looked lost. It was just a bit of a problem for him. And, you know, and unfortunately, he did struggle to disengage from blocks. Jameson Williams, you know, some of the concerns with him is that he was, you know, they would try to use him outside of TX and Kair Elam, Ahmad Gardner, they would block him down because they were more physical. So Jameson Williams was pushing Dean Leonard around. If that kind of gives you an indication of how that looks sometimes. Again, willing guy. He's trying to fight to get to the football, but sometimes he does get pushed around. I believe there were two plays I saw him get pushed out of bounds, which is not great. So you you want to be you know aggressive. He wants to be aggressive. He wants to get to the football, but he has a hard time disengaging. And you know it is what it is. Fun fact: uh, this is here. This is Telesco's Notre Dame pick. Uh, he went to Notre Dame high school. So there's my fun fact. Went to Notre Dame high school. So Telesco you sneaky. I see you sneaking that in there. Uh, to me, he is the most roster of these eight guys. He is the most roster bubble of all of them. I think it really comes down to whether they like Devon Campbell as an outside guy or not. If Devon Campbell's only now going to be a slot guy for them, I think Leonard could hold on to the roster spot. But with Michael Davis, with Asante Samuel Jr., with JC Jackson, with Devon Campbell, Jasir Taylor, probably Kimon Hall. You know, those guys, Bryce Callahan, I just don't know if there's another spot for Dean Leonard. They drafted him, but it wouldn't be the first time Staley or excuse me, Telesco has cut a seventh round pick before the season. (laughs) So again, I think he can develop. I think in year three, we're talking about a guy who could be, you know, that sixth corner on the roster who could maybe even be a safety by then, but it's going to take some time and that's okay. Again, it's totally fine. That's going to take time. You know, there are negatives, there are positives. It's going to take, it's going to take some time and that's okay. It's just, I do have the hardest time figuring out how to get him on the roster unless they just do not want to Campbell anymore, which is also possible. But Dean Leonard is just so raw right now that it's basically like an undrafted free agent making the team, but he's a seventh round pick. So maybe that he has an ability to hold to the spot a little bit better. Who knows? Last one is Xander Horvath. Horvath. I shouldn't say whore. And then let's pause there. Xander Horvath, the fullback from Purdue. He's actually a running back from Purdue. Uh, another guy who was taken a little bit earlier, but not not as much as the other guys. But still, he was drafted at 260. He was ranked 366 as RB 37. Now, of course, you know maybe he was the second best fullback on the board. I have no idea, but he was in terms of running backs. They just they loop them all together. They lump them all together. He was running back 37 ranked 366. So this is another big reach, unfortunately. I, again, I have a hard time giving someone just a pure undrafted free agent, gray because that just feels mean. Um, But it could have gone either way. Like this is someone sort of like Desir Taylor, where you bet on the traits, right? Xander Horvath's 9.83 RAS score and what he showed in the limited action that he had. That's something you want to gamble on. And so him as your last pick in the draft, that makes more sense to me than someone like a Dean Leonard No offense to him, even though Xander Horvath wasn't was projected to be an undrafted free agent. I get why you'd bring someone like Xander Horvath on because he's pretty darn talented. Uh, He's an elite fullback athlete, and that shows for sure. He's not like he's not an elite running back athlete. Like he's he's not going to be pick a pick an elite guy, Ladainian Tomlinson. He like he does have an elite RAS score for running back, but he's by no means an elite running back like specimen like someone like um and Tomlinson, not like that. Um, and then he did have an array of usages at Purdue, which I do think makes him very valuable. And also it's part of my negatives. We'll get into that in a bit, but he is going to be a weaponized fullback for this team, I think. And that's going to be huge. His ability to work as a runner, as a runner in short yarded situations, as a receiver out of the backfield, all good. Uh, so that kind of also could be a negative though. The murky role translation. What is your role? And it seems like a nitpick to say that his like they know what he's going to be, but I don't know, based on his film, what he's going to be other than weaponized fullback, which means if he's a guy that's only touching the football and he's rushing with the football, he's receiving the football, okay, that's cool. That's your college to NFL translation based on what you did in college. But then you're a fullback. So are you blocking? And that leads to the next negative, which is, He's only had 51 running back running block reps the past two years. Uh, So, or excuse me, three years. I should have, I should have changed. It's actually three years. He had, I think nine this past year and 21 and 21 the years prior. So he's not, he hasn't blocked in the run game all that much. And I think there's something like a hand, you know, a couple dozen pass blocking reps in there, but he's not like he, he pass blocks because he's a running back. So he, he just natural in pass protection on third down, he'll block. It's not like he was playing, you know, in line tight end. It was not like he was playing H back. He was a running back. So I don't really know what his role specifically is going to be, and that's kind of a negative. That's a really odd negative. But he's a fullback. You know, this, there's there's always so much nitpicking I can do here. Um, he does have a, he does have an elite RAS score, but he's not. He doesn't look the part of an elite athlete on the field for a running back, but for a fullback. That can work. So his 9.83 RAS score is 29th out of 1,624 since 1987. So that's pretty good. Like I said, RAS score, good athlete. Maybe it is not as much on the field, but there's a lot of athletic traits there, elite traits as a fullback that you like. And in 2022, listen, this is your starter. Like the Chargers did get a starter here. He's your starting fullback, I would assume, as your more weaponized fullback. So great. Chargers got a starter. In the seventh round, can't say that's wrong, right? <laughs> Is it fullback? Yeah, but they did get one, so there you go. Let's talk about final draft grades. Everyone wants to know what I think, right? No, nobody cares. But I want to get final draft grades for this. So Zion Johnson with an A minus for me. JT Woods C plus because of that reach. Isaiah Spiller gets a B plus for me. Otito Ogbonia a B minus. Jamari Saylor an A. Jaceer Taylor a C. Dean Leonard gets a D, my lowest grade, and Zandra Horvath gets a C plus from me. I can see, we'll talk about their roles in a bit, but I, I see the vision for seven out of eight of these guys. And technically, with Leonard, you're developmental outside corner. So I get it. But in terms of this year and even next year, I see how all of these guys could get on the field and how they could contribute. Dean Leonard is just the most not confusing, but I don't, I don't quite understand that one just yet. I can talk about why they would have, they took him, but I don't really understand like why they went in that direction at this point in the draft, but you know, we'll, we'll, see when it pans out. So my favorite, so my highest graded pick in terms of my draft grades, like for the draft, not my film and stats grades. Jamari Taylor gets number one from me, then Zion Johnson, and then Isaiah Spiller. Those are my top three. And then just the, you know, Jasir Taylor pick, the reach, Dean Leonard pick, a reach, and then somewhere between, you know, JT Woods and Xander Horvath for being reaches as well. I like JT Woods more than the C indicates, but still, we talked about him being a big reach. He's a big reach. And that will affect his grade pretty much all the time. Partially why Jamari Sailor has an A. You know, if he was in the third, fourth round, well, if they took another guard in the third round with Zion Johnson already, nah. But Jamari Saylor as your backup entry offensive lineman in the sixth round—that's an A from me. All right, last slide, just talking about their 2021 impact. Let me move all the way over here for fun. Can I move?
0: Wee, wee.
1: Okay. Uh, 2021 impact. The starters are undeniably Zion Johnson, Xander Horvath. I well, I, I guess Gabe Neighbors could beat out Horvath, but at this point, I highly doubt it. So you're two legit starters without having to put little asterisks and say, oh, he's a 1B like Isaiah Spiller. Your two starters is Zion Johnson and Xander Horvath. After that, JT Woods and Isaiah Spiller are your most significant contributors. They're going to be on the field the most. JT Woods to free up Derwin James and Isaiah Spiller as your RP 2 Technically not starters, but very, very strong contributors. I think Otito Agbonia could jump into that category. But we'll see how he pans out in training camp, how he holds up, because, you know, he'll he'll be a part of a rotation. I just don't think he'll be a significant contributor. Barring injuries, of course. This is all barring injuries. But, um, you know, Otito, I think, so the three starters are ahead of him. Sebastian Joseph Day, Austin Johnson, Jerry Tillery. They're going to start ahead of him. And then you have Braden Fajoko. Well, you have have Christian Covington, first off, who could take some snaps away from Otito Ogbonia. And then because I think Otito is just a better pass rusher, but not as much a run defender right now. Burden Fahoko could also take his snaps as well. So I mean, obviously there's not only one backup into defensive lineman. So he could, you know, they could all see the field at some point, but this, you know, I just don't see where he would fit in early enough to consider him a significant contributor just yet next year, probably this year, not as much. And then your roster bubble guys are just Taylor and Dean Leonard I think just Taylor does make the roster. I don't have Dean Leonard making the roster right now, but it's, it's kind of a coin toss. You just got to show out in the preseason. And if Devon Campbell performs much better in the preseason, Dean Leonard's probably out. I guess it depends on how they feel about Kemon hall, but Steven says, or Staley said, Steven said that Staley said in his press conference, they were pretty high on Kemon hall again, whatever that means. But I, I do think Kemon hall as a guy, they've, you know, youngish guy that they've been developing, I think has a good shot to make it. So I, I do think Dean Leonard is potentially on the outside looking in again, if I'm picking anyone who has the worst chance of making the roster, it is Dean Leonard. And then I'd have Jamari Salier down here because it could be anything. He could be, a, he could be a roster bubble guy because you have Brendan Hymas. And if if, some, if Salier is only a guard or interior guy to them, you have Hymas, you have clap, Hope, hopefully you don't have clap, uh, but they have will clap and uh Salier might be a roster bubble guy. Again, I don't, I don't believe that, but it's possible uh, game day rotation. He could be an extra lineman on the field. Absolutely. Uh, significant contributor. Sure. Ah, hmm. I guess he couldn't be a significant contributor. I guess it's either, or I guess it's either, he's either a starter game day rotation guy or roster bubble guy. I don't think he's going to be a contributor uh, unless there's injuries, of course, which, hey, you know, it's possible. Um, But he's not going to be a starter, but he could be. It just depends on what they want to do at tackle guard. If they want to have a competition for left guard at all, if they want to put Sailor as a competing for right tackle, I don't know. I think he could beat up Pipkins. Will he beat up Pipkins based on maybe how they feel about Pipkins? I don't know. We'll see. But there's room for competition there. So he could start, he could be a part of the rotation as an extra lemon, or he could be on the roster bubble. Who knows? All right, let me just try this one more time.
2: Wee,
1: Some of you guys are listening on audio only and you have no idea what I'm talking about. It's because I'm just moving myself on the screen because this is way too much fun. Okay, we're here. That went on way longer than I would have guessed, <laughs> but whatever. Wanted to get a full scouting report for all eight guys. For you guys out there, been watching the film. I hate people who are just like, here's my report. And in 30 seconds, they have all the positives and negatives How about a player they've not watched. Oh, no. I it took me a while to get here, but I wanted to take the time to watch at least, you know, rewatch the games I've already rewatched or the games I've already watched, or just watch you know, at least three games for those guys in that you know, Jacir Taylor, Dean Leonard, Xander Horvath, that sort of range. So that is it. What do you guys think of this class? Show me your grades for these guys. Hopefully you've watched them and you're not just giving me grades based on YouTube. Uh, But you know, it is what it is. Everyone's got time for different things. What are your grades for either the class as a whole? What are your grades for each individual player? Who's your favorite? Who's not your favorite? Who's the biggest dark horse of the group? I don't know. Let me know. All right, guys, take care.